Good morning. No, welcome everybody. I'm so glad that you're here, students. Glad that you're here. Guests, I'm glad that you're here. So if there's any parents or alum, welcome as well. You know, last night my wife said to me, I was going to wear jeans because it is Jeans Friday. And I was asking my wife about this and she said I wouldn't risk it. I'm still trying to figure out what she meant by that. But uh, so I wore this ensemble. And I went to work this morning, early in the morning, and had a, at my door. And when my lights are really dim and off, my students should know better. But uh, I proceeded to open the door to two young men who looked me up and down and said, dude, you should be wearing a suit, dog. And I was like, what is going on? And I said, dude, your shirt's wrinkled. And the guy next to you is wearing Burks with socks. I should have wore the jeans. Okay, here we go. Let's pray and we'll get going. Father God, thank you for your care and your love for us. Help us open up our minds and hearts to your word this morning. We love you and we thank you. We're rejoicing today because of Jesus. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So today's, this semester we've been looking at a theme for this year. Walk, live, and keep. Specifically in Galatians 5, 16 through 26. So I'm not going to go over the whole text, but that's where we've been. Been talking about other related texts about walking by the Spirit and the transformational work of God in our lives because of Jesus. And so I want you to read while I'm talking, read 16 to 26. That's Galatians 5, 16 to 26. Keep that in mind, okay? So today I, w- I wish to uh, address the fruit of the Spirit, specifically self-control, through the backdrop of contrasting it with the indulgence of the flesh. It's really what Paul's talking about. And so before I begin, though, I want to say two things to you. Please hear these two things. Exhortation and correction isn't meant to tear you down. Rather, its function is to lift you up to someone greater. Number two, the Christian life isn't about trying harder Rather, it's about trusting or surrendering and abiding more in Jesus Christ. Please understand that about the Christian life as you're young and you start off trying to live for Jesus. So as we look at the text, note the beauty of the progression of the gospel in Paul's letter to the Galatians. Chapter 1, here's the theme. There is only one gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the message of chapter 1. Chapter 2, watch the progression. The work of Christ is the sole thing that justifies or makes us right before God and not the works of the law or the flesh. Chapter 3, like Abraham, the Old Testament patriarch, the righteous are always justified and live by faith in the work of Christ. That's Paul's message. Chapter 4, this faith like Abraham, sets one free from the rule of sin and death and makes the one who believes alive to God as his child. That's what he says. Chapter five, as children, we are made new to live in new ways. That's the important part of the book. Let me say that again. Chapter five, summary, as children, we are made new to live in new ways. Chapter six, make your soul focus in life practicing Christ. We were dead, now we're alive, condemned by the law, now free to obey it, enslaved to our flesh, now free to live by the Spirit. 
Listen to Oswald Chambers, one of my favorite theologians, still ministering to people, although in glory. He writes this in his devotional, In the Divine Rule of Life. Pay attention to this, please. The example our Lord gives us is not that of, good, of a good man or even a good Christian, but of God himself. But ye therefore perfect, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect, Matthew 5, 48. Show to the other man what God has shown to you. The expression of Christian character is not good doing, but God-likeness. If the Spirit of God has transformed you within, you will exhibit divine characteristics in your life, not good human characteristics. God's life in us expresses itself as God's life, not as human life trying to be godly. The salt and light person described in Matthew 5 is only possible through the supernatural ability to do that which was otherwise impossible before Christ. For instance, Jesus isn't interested in behavior so much. That's not enough for him. He wants the heart to match the behavior too. It's not enough just to refrain from physically murdering someone. Rather, he wants genuine love, value towards others. This is true freedom. Sin not merely, is not merely a behavior, neither is godliness. Rather, these things are an identity. Am I on now? Do I need to repeat the last five minutes? Okay, here we go. So Galatians 5 spirit fruit, singular. Galatians 5 spirit fruit isn't skill learned by human effort. It's really important that you get this in the Christian life. It's taken me years and years to learn this painfully. I'm still learning it. It's Christ working in and through us. Patience isn't a skill we learn people. Rather, what we learn is to surrender to God's work, the work of God in us through his spirit. That's what Paul's talking about. So we can live patiently or live graciously or live joyously or lovingly and you go through the fruit of the spirit. What is God like? What is God doing in us and through us? Oftentimes, if you're like me, we kind of try to perform for God because we struggle to understand or trust who he is through his gospel. Something that I'm still trying to figure out. I want to get that right, and I'm working on it. Jesus puts it this way in John 15, 4 through 5, a familiar passage to many of you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine. So neither can you unless you remain in me, Jesus says. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit because apart from me you can accomplish nothing. Notice Jesus doesn't say anything about human effort or human flesh. He uses this beautiful word called abide. It's simply to trust. It's simply to believe God out of his word and what he says to be true because he doesn't lie. Amen? We lean into God. We do have to do something. We're going to get to that. We do have a responsibility. But I want you to understand the weight of what Jesus is saying, because this is where Paul is getting these thoughts from. This is where he's getting these wonderful gospel thoughts from. So note, Jesus defines abiding in chapter 14. What does chapter 14 say? Through a relationship with the Father, through the Spirit of truth. Listen to chapter 14, verse 17, just before 15 in the vine. But you know him because he resides with you and will be in you, the Spirit, 
I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you, Jesus says to his disciples. Because I live, you will live too. You will know at that time that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. Oh, that's a big one. The person who, has my, uh, who obeys my commandments, excuse me, and obeys them and the one who is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will reveal himself to him. Stop. Be careful how you understand what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying for his disciples or for us to try harder. Jesus is saying this. In short, if we love God, we will obey him. But, but, the only way that we can obey God is if Christ is in us through his spirit. Love for God and others isn't natural in our flesh. That's what Paul's talking about in Galatians 5. This is what he's trying to convey to his readers. Stop trying harder. Understand what God has done to and through you and live in freedom in Christ and watch what happens. Watch what God does. So Galatians 3, 1 through 3, watch what he says to the Galatians just so we have context. Fools, idiots. That's not very nice. Before your eyes, Jesus Christ was vividly portrayed as crucified. You saw it. Did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? Are you so desperate in your flesh? Although you began with the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by human effort? I'm drawn to the same air. I really am. Jesus saves me from condemnation gives me eternal life, and then somehow in my thinking, my default in my flesh, I try to will my way through sanctification, through this self-help or try-harder performance-based Christianity. Guys, this is not the gospel. That's not the gospel. So we just let go and let God. Nope. Sorry. Try again. That is not good theology. We're going to get there. What are we supposed to do the gospel is, in Galatians 3.16, said like this. I can say it no better than what Paul says. No one is justified by the works of the law, but by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Amen? Jesus does it. Jesus accomplishes it. Jesus holds it all together. Jesus sustains it. You're probably catching on now that Jesus is a pretty big deal to me. That Jesus is a pretty big deal to Emmaus Bible College. This is the correct lens of chapter 5. You can explore Romans 6, explore Romans 7, explore Romans 8 from the Apostle Paul. He's writing the same thing in much more um, detail with commentary. He's saying the same thing, just with a lot more detail. Without Christ, we are condemned to one outcome, a life driven by the things that condemn us, our flesh, the things that our flesh wants. We now have an option and his name's Jesus Christ. So a word on self-control. That's my topic. A word on self-control. When it comes to the living and walking and keeping, like our theme of the gospel for this year, in our lives, we try, sometimes, if we're not careful, we try to negotiate with God or use fear to ensure that he'll bless us. What do I mean by that? I wonder if sometimes I want to feel approved by God. Listen, listen carefully. I wonder if sometimes I want to feel approved by God or feel free from him being upset or angry at me more than I actually want to know and experience him. 
as if I use the gospel to self-soothe to feel better about myself. That's not what Paul's talking about. It's not try harder. We are freed by grace to obey, new in Christ to agree with God, and he's given us the power to live in accordance with him. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is a result of God in us, the living God in us. But in order to understand the fruit of God, especially self-control, double gulp, anybody sweating yet? I've been sweating for a couple weeks. Self-control. How can I stand up here and talk about self-control when I lack a lot of self-control? It just looks good on the outside to you. We must consider the fruit results of the flesh without God. Why do we sin? The Apostle Paul's logic, we do what we are in our flesh. Without Jesus, we are what we are, and we can do nothing else. We need God to change us in order to deny that which is natural. Galatians 2.20, transformation, beautiful passage, beautiful statement. In our sin, the deeds of the flesh are natural to us. Again, here's the exhortation for us. And remember what I said at the beginning. Exhortation is not designed to tear you down. Exhortation is, is meant to help us focus on the one who builds us up, the one who restores, the one who cares for us. Unfortunately, sometimes, me included, we don't do it in love, and so we don't get that. We need God to change us in order to deny that which is natural. In our sin, the deeds of the flesh are natural to us. We have, you ready for this? I'm going to give credit where credit's due, so just hold on. We have the proclivity to sin. Mia, where are you this morning? Hi, Mia. If you haven't met Mia, you need to meet her. She's a sweetheart. I'm a dad of six. Give me a break, okay? I need a break, too, once in a while, by the way. So any babysitters out there? Okay. We have a proclivity to sin, we have a disposition, a bent, a habit of. We can't help it before Christ. We're drawn to it. One of my favorite old theologians, Arthur Pink, says this. People don't talk like this anymore, but listen. I think we should talk like this a little bit more. And how does God save his people from the pleasure of sin? Notice what he's saying, the pleasure of sin, like that we like it. By imparting to them a nature which hates evil and loves holiness. We're not only born with an evil nature, but with hearts that are, hearts that are in love with sin. Sin is our native element, but what is impossible with man is possible with God. By saving us from the pleasure or love of sin, this is the great miracle of grace, making him a new creature in Christ so that the things that he once loved, he now hates, and the things he once hated, he now loves. Saving us from ourselves, from the pleasure or love of sin by putting his holy awe in their hearts. Hang on, ready for this? Where the love of God rules the heart and the love of sin is dethroned. Drawing, drawing their affections unto things above from salvation, for salvation. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sin, you probably know it. He himself bore our sin in his body on a tree that we may cease from sinning and live for righteousness. By his, what? By his wounds, we are what? We are healed. We're made new. We're brought back to life. In Christ, we're given a new nature, so, that, so what we do naturally is different now. 
The challenge is, is that we don't have a lot of practice doing what's natural now in our spirit, in the new creation. At least it doesn't seem natural to us because we're so used to acting in the flesh. We're so used to giving into a lack of self-control and compulsion and what we want when we want it. I'm the first one in line. I'm talking to me. I'm preaching to me this morning. I want the work of God in my life in that way. I don't want to be driven anymore by the impulses of my flesh. The more we practice, the better we get at it. That's the art of sanctification, the spirit of God with his people and his truth. The more we practice unrighteousness, the more we do it. It's a habit. It's a habit. It's a habit. It's not who we are anymore, but it's a habit. Did you get that? It's a habit. What we do in our sin and our flesh is a habit. It's not who we are anymore. The problem is, is I don't believe that most of the time. What I believe informs how I think and what I do. Please understand that. So what's the definition of the word self-control? Let's experience that for a little bit as we have a couple minutes left. When you break down the word, and I'm not a Greek scholar, I just want to admit that. I, re- I really am not. I want to get better at that. I want to learn that. But what I understand about the word of self-control, that at the base of this word, it carries this idea of a force, not Star Wars. Sorry, try again. A force, a will, a power, not midichlorians. Ah, some of you nerds laughed. I got you. Awesome. Everybody knows who all the nerds are. Let's wear it proud, okay? All right. So the definition of the word literally force is the idea from the early Greeks, it's like Socrates or Aristotle, of one who feels the power of impure desires but resists them. To act, to respond, to willfully deny. Think about that. Willfully deny and turn away. We have the urge. We have the temptation. That's not the problem. The problem is we don't deny it. We don't turn away. That's what Paul is talking about. So we'll get there in a minute. Self-control over natural impulses was the central quality of good character to the ancient Greeks or the ideal of the ancient Greek. Right? To the early Greeks, a lack of self-control was a distraction that pulled one away from what was good and pure. So they would speak in the context of a lot of different things. One of them would be like a soldier who doesn't, isn't taken away or drawn away from his or her duty, denying the temptation of being drawn away or distracted, or an athlete denying the temptation of being drawn away from what their goal is, Right? Go study Olympic athletes and watch and hear their testimonies about what they do to train. It's insane what they deny themselves. That's the idea. But it's more than a, fo- a, a fo- excuse me. It's more than a focused choice of the will to say no to chocolate cake. It's more than that. It's much more than that. For a Christian, self-control is a gift. It's a gift of God. Please hear me. It's not an ability or a skill that you learn. It's the supernatural gift of the Holy Father in heaven. Because we were made in this world to be like him. We've fallen in our sin, and now he's restoring us to be like him again. It's a gift. Be careful about telling yourself a gospel lie or a false gospel that says, i got to try harder to make it right with God to be holy. It never works. It only brings you away from the Father that loves you. 
So for Christians, self-control is a gift, but self-control isn't simply turning away from bad behavior. It's agreeing with God and turning towards him. Okay, so hold on to that thought. We grow in the habit of applying self-control through self-denial. We just say no. I know that sounds silly and almost borderline stupid, but we just say no. We deny our flesh and say yes to something else. The problem is in our walk, in my experience, I've tried so hard to deny, 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 and failed to turn to something better than what I wanted. And that's God. I want to discipline myself to do that. I want to figure that out. Without Christ, self-denial is only a negative form of suffering if we don't replace what we deny ourselves with something that's better, something that's good, and his name's Jesus. Let me read that again. This is the point of the whole talk. Without Christ, self-denial is only a negative form of suffering if we don't replace what we deny ourselves with something that's better, something that's good. The pleasure of porn and lust, okay, turn away from it, but find a different sort of pleasure. The pleasure that's in Christ. The self-validating effect of gossip, turn away from gossip, but validate yourself now with Christ and who you are in Christ. Are you with me? You following the application? The fear of consequence through lying, we lie because we don't want the consequence. Turn away from lying and turn to the hope of God that he has with us and the consequence of turning to God, which is peace and joy and love and faithfulness. You get the picture. We're addicted to the habits of our flesh. We even say things, I say things like, God, I've been patient long enough. I've been loving long enough. God, I've been self-controlled enough. Now give me what I want. That's, that's not the Christian life. That's not what Paul's saying. Turn from the impulses of your flesh, but don't stay there. Turn to God. Find something better. God's offering something better. If we become consumed with our own desires and impulses, there's nothing, no more room left for anyone or anything else. Let me end on this with a point of application, and then I'll let you go. This is from J. Kim from a book that just came out called Analog Church. He says, when it comes to relationships in the digital age, we see one another simply as objects to be accessed for our own personal benefit. When others are not useful or comforting or amusing, we can't believe the fact that they are not faithfully orbiting around our own personal needs and desires. We do not gift one another the allowance of being able to stumble, hesitate, and fall from time to time. We do not afford one another the grace of being helped back up to gather our thoughts, reconsider our ideas, and re-engage in the dialogue. As a result, in order to protect ourselves, we have become clever, but meaningful community is forged slowly over time with much compromise and understanding. This is spirit-led living. God's supernatural work doesn't mean we don't do anything, so I want to part you with this. We need to respond. We need to obey through the hope of Christ, through the work of Christ, through the strength of Christ. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, Paul says. Do something. Stand firm and face it. Don't just give in to it. Face it. And if you give in to your impulses, then find God's grace and go back and turn to him and let him give it to you. Remind yourself of it. 
There's all kinds of imperatives and commands in the New Testament. So here's a couple, and I'll let you go out of here. Reagan, that's the third time I said I was going to end. Love God and love others, Matthew 20. It's not an option. Take every thought captive, 2 Corinthians 10. Submit to God and resist the devil. Imperatives, declarations like do this, directives, James 4. Paul runs and he fights and disciplines his body to submit to the will of God, 1 Corinthians 9. Turn away from immorality and turn to righteousness. Do something. Turn away from unrighteousness and turn to righteousness. Put on the armor of God. Spend less, spend less energy loving self, trying not to sin, and more on loving and enjoying God. 